Welcome in to Talking Terps, a show which covers University of Maryland basketball and football. Talking Terps is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Baltimore Ravens, and the Terrapins. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations on the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into Talking Terps. I'm your host, Zach Kiesel. Uh, Pat Donahue can't be with us today, but uh, got Mike Popovic here. We're going to break down Maryland's first loss of the season uh, to Ohio State and then preview homecoming against Illinois. So uh, Maryland loses 37-17 to Ohio State, their biggest matchup, obviously, of the year. First loss of the year. They moved to 5-1. and one. Game was tied at halftime, 10-10. Uh, Buckeyes pulled away eventually in the fourth quarter. Mike... Give me just your initial impressions of this game because I feel like there's two there's two uh, there's two takeaways that you could probably take and maybe there's a little bit of both that are legitimate. One is the positive, which is Maryland hung in there against a very good Ohio State team for three quarters, um, showed I think a lot of improvement, especially on the lines with their ability to stop the run and things of that nature. The flip side is there were a lot of missed opportunities against what seemed like a Buckeyes team that was kind of there for the taking. It, it was a missed opportunity, and it doesn't necessarily mean that it would have led to a win, but they would have put themselves, in, I think, in a position where, as, as was the case last year in the fourth quarter, they did have a chance to win. And it was 10 to 10, to 10 at the half. It should have been 13 to 3 at the half. Maybe even more when you consider – on that uh, second or third offensive series that you had a fourth and one in which uh, at the Ohio State 29 in which they got stopped on that Edwards uh, run for no gain. That was, a, I guess, a fourth down package. That was their actually um, second offensive series. It was a very poor job by Preston Howard in, uh, in blocking. I'm not sure, though, that Edwards would have had it anyway, but I know I'm getting into details there. But the bottom line being is that it was a lost opportunity in the sense that they could have put themselves in another position, as I said, in the fourth quarter to be there and give themselves a chance to win. Whether they would have or not, you know, who knows? But that aspect is disappointing. And I said that before, when we talked last week, before the game, that I just want Maryland to play a clean game and put their best foot forward and let the cards fall where they may. They didn't ultimately do that. And as much as I certainly want to commend them for the way they started in general in that first half. Clearly, they came to play in that first half. Ohio State didn't. And some of that, too, was, hey, Maryland's a much improved team from the where they were just a few years ago. Um, you know, it's a, it's a two-half game, and they certainly left points and things on the field that it's disappointing, you know, really disappointing. And uh, the score certainly doesn't reflect what the game could have been. And I don't think it reflects the game as a whole anyway, even with that being said. Yeah, three quarters very close. But I, 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 I felt similar at the end of this game that I did after the Michigan game last year, another big road game, their first real test of the year last year, where it was, you know, they were close for a long time in that game. And it was a lot of it was them shooting themselves in the foot. You know, Talia, I think, had two picks in that game. Obviously, the opening kickoff was fumbled and then subsequently first play for a touchdown for Michigan. And it, it felt like, that again here, um, you know, no penalties, hardly any penalties in the game, which was similar to that Michigan game. But 
turnovers and just missed opportunities and blunders. What stood out in this game was Talia's performance. Mm. You know, it's the first time this year that we've really seen him fall apart at times. Um, the early pick six obviously was a, a shot in the foot, deep in your own end, um, not a throw that he needed to make. I think it was a third down at that point. Just punt and flip the field. The defense had played well uh, the first couple series. So that obviously gets Ohio State back into the game. At the end of the half, as you alluded to, uh, they should have had 13, at least 13 points going into the half. But he checks the ball down with no timeouts, and the time runs out before they can get the ball spiked or the field goal team on. And then, obviously, the interception in the third quarter, which then allows Ohio State to really take the momentum and carry that into the fourth and and finish with a 20-point victory. We've taught the narrative around Talia in the past has been that he falls apart in big games. And to this point, I've been willing to make some excuses for him. You know, the Iowa game, it was his first full season as the starter. Um, his really only his second ish season starting as a Big Ten quarterback because of the COVID shortened year uh, the season before. But at this point, is there a legitimate concern going forward throughout the rest of the season? You got two big games against Michigan and Penn State still in the schedule. Is there a legitimate concern about Talia and his performance in these types of games? Absolutely. And I had concern prior to the game. At the end of the day, he's a guy, despite all the great numbers, he is good in big games. He's good for at least one big mistake, usually two. And yeah. we saw that play out the other day, and it's disappointing. Now, I could take a look at that pick six that he threw, and he shouldn't have thrown it. I, I didn't get a chance to, to see the, the Loxley press conference, so I'm not sure what he had to say about it. I also think the receiver's somewhat responsible for that as well um, because I don't think he read the defense very well. But, no, it's not. That ball should have been thrown, if at all, to the inside, and the, the receiver needed to adjust himself there. He didn't. So I almost wonder if that's why Talia threw it there partially. But, but I think it was kind of like a bang-bang play where he's trying to get rid of it quick and he thought the receiver would turn around and uh, and be more physical towards the football, and he wasn't, and the DB was all over it. And maybe he's partially to blame, too, if he stared it down, and he may have done that. Um, so I don't want to nuance the heck out of the interception. I guess I just did. But I think there could be some shared blame there. But he has done that before. And then I know on the second one he was trying to make a play, and he was trying to fit it over the top of a defender and in between two defenders into a receiver coming to the sideline, but you got to make that throw. You know, if you're going to do it, yeah. you got to, you got to be able to make the throw and he didn't, but we've seen enough of those mistakes and certainly the field goal um, or the lack thereof at the end of the first half. I mean, Zach, that just cannot, that cannot happen. And for a guy that has played so much, how that was allowed to transpire is beyond me. And yet we saw that with Jay Sean Jones the week before. Different players, same result, blown opportunity to a field goal. What do you know? You know, and, and that that was a momentum killer there for the team. So yes, uh now he has played, you know, last year he played big in the Ohio State game. And so he did show himself well there. He did beat Penn State at Penn State. I don't care that it was a COVID year. All the teams had the same challenges. So the fact that he did that there, I think, helps a little bit. 
But, yeah, it's a big concern. Now, they played Michigan right down to the wire last year, and I thought the interception that D.J. Turner had in that game last year, I didn't think he had it. Um, I, I thought that uh, they yeah, should reverse that. But, I mean, he has played well in some big games, but he's made enough mistakes in big games, too, that it's absolutely a legitimate concern. Yeah, that field, that missed opportunity for a field goal going into the half, you you think about that, and, and they, they, they get the ball first to start the second half, and they do score a touchdown. So you think about that, and it's Which like, is well, huge. It, it could have been 20 to 10. Could have been two possessions. Should have been 20 to three, probably, right? But you can really shoulder, I mean, you got the pick six, which if you're going to put it on Talia, that's seven points. You got the missed opportunity for three. That's three more points. And then his second interception, which they then turned into three points. So that's at least 13 points that you can almost put solely on him. And look, I'm not trying to blame the entire game on him because there are a lot of factors that go into this. They were unable to run the ball in the second half and all of these sorts of things. But 13 points would have really helped in the, going into the fourth quarter. Look, it would have been a much tighter game. Absolutely. And, and you again, you could take a look at that fourth and one at the Ohio State 29 on that second drive where they got stuffed. Now, if you want to tell me that Mike Loxley's thinking on that is, look, Ohio State's got a dynamic offense. They've got a heck of a passing game, and I've got to score touchdowns. I can't settle for field goals in general. Um, I could go along with that to an extent. I would say, though, that – it's a different team this year, different offense to an extent with the quarterback especially and with their offensive line where that may hold a lot more last year than it did necessarily this year. But I can't completely get them on it. But bottom line is, and you could talk about lack of execution there, there were points there potentially to be had at minimum three. Uh, even if they get the first down, maybe they don't score a touchdown. But again, a minimum three would definitely be had there given the field position. Yeah, and just on that really quickly, and I know Mike Loxley has said he likes Billy Edwards in those short yardage situations, and he gives you an option as a running threat. They were running the ball pretty well with their backs to that point on the second drive, and to take the ball out of Antoine Littleton's hand doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And if you're going to get Edwards in there, get him under center and do the Eagles tush-push. Like right. I didn't understand the shotgun, no option involved, no fake involved, just run right into the back of your offensive line. Our offensive line may have has certainly made strides, but they're not that good to be able to go on the road against Ohio State's defensive line that early in the game and get that much of a push when they know what's coming. Yeah, and then Howard whiffs on the defensive end, which right. they didn't block on the I, I guess since he kind of went up the middle I but I'll, we'll call it on the weak side you know the the tight end came around to get him because I guess the tackle was going to either double team or the right guard or go up to the next level to get a linebacker and so they let him free terrible job there but again even if he blocks him he there was still no room up the middle to be able to go and you're right if you're gonna play Edwards there put Edwards there I just I, I don't know that the play call was the best um in that situation and look Leah can run the ball too so, I, I mean, I think yeah. you kind of make it very obvious there. So you either get creative with the play call or leave Leo out there because he can he's a threat to run it as well if need be. And we saw that work a few times, and we mentioned it last week, whether they might use some more option runs, and we saw that work uh, a number of times in this game. So that's something to watch moving forward. I do want to talk about the running game for a bit because even though it did kind of fall apart in the second half, 
I know they had some injuries along the offensive line. Andre Roy came in for an extended period. Um, I wasn't paying that close attention. Uh, Kyle Long to, played at uh, left guard. Long's been playing. They've been rotating him and Moran in at left guard, and it seems like that's going to continue all year. But I think um, Ayedzig must have gotten hurt because I think it was Andre Roy playing a lot of right tackle in this game. Now, he's a very good player. Um, they've been raving about him since he, since he flipped his commitment from Penn State, um, but still pretty young and inexperienced. But regardless, the line was getting a big push early in the game and on a lot of these running plays. And as you mentioned last week, a lot of the gap schemes, the counters and powers that were working um, in the games prior in the Indiana game were working in this game as well. So that has got to give them a lot of a lot of confidence as they go in against some of these defensive lines that they're going to face, especially in Michigan and Penn State, that look, it's not just about throwing the football. We can run a little bit on these guys, at least enough to keep them honest. Yeah, and it, it, the first, I mean, it was a tale of two halves because you ultimately ended up with a three-yard carry average, and that that wasn't good enough. That needed to be better. We weren't saying it was going to be four and a half or five, but it needed to be, say, 3.8, you know, uh, let, yeah. let, just to be yeah. – just to, to give them the benefit and give Ohio State credit there. It needed to be – closer to four than it was and it wasn't but yes in the first half they were doing some of the things and realized you know josh gaddis uh having come from michigan uh prior to the miami stop for the one year's oc there you know they ran a ton of gap scheme stuff that worked very well now they also have much better offensive linemen uh to work with but seeing what they did against indiana and how that helped them out that was the only thing that worked uh where the counter plays that they had you're right but they ran some power and things and yeah early on and as i said they just needed to run the ball enough and they did the first half but unfortunately that really faded in the second half so let's talk about the defense for a little bit because i think if there's one really big positive to take away from this game uh it's the defense's performance against such an explosive offense now we talked about kyle mccord last week and we questioned you know how good he was going to be able to be. And they were able to get him rattled a bit. Now, I think the biggest thing that they had going for them is, especially through the first three quarters, they were able to keep Ohio State behind the chains because they were able to stop the run. Now, Travion Henderson didn't play in this game. He had an injury. And, and that's yeah, that that's big. significant. And it's not Maryland's fault. Uh, yeah, that's, that's significant there. But I'll say that I, given the way Maryland played and the way that O-line was blocking – he probably would not have had a huge day either. You know? Yeah, no explosive runs. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that, that's that's got to give, the speaking of confidence, the defensive line a lot of confidence. Yeah. I mean, you're going to go up against two really big offensive lines, especially Michigan, uh, who we know wants to run the football, yeah. and that's going to give them a lot of confidence. It, it, it is. It, it certainly is. Now, Michigan's line – and maybe even Penn State's line is better than Ohio State. Yeah. But, Zach, you got to start somewhere, to your point. And Ohio State had two returning guards. Their uh, one tackle had played various spots along the line the previous year. I know one of their tackles was a transfer, and I'm trying to remember about their center. So, to your point, though, they had guys that have been in the program, though, and have played to an extent as well last year. Uh, and obviously we know how good that team was. Um you know, despite them coming up a little bit short. So, no, I agree with you. I mean, that that is a big sign of progress there, regardless of the running back situation there. And, and look, Williams and, and Trainum are still talented guys So uh, that, that came into the game. So, no, I, you're right. I mean, that, that was – what did I say? Maryland needed to run the football enough and stop the run. And 
they did one of them in the first half. They stopped the run defensively the entire game, and it just wasn't. Unfortunately, they still lost, but uh, but they worked themselves towards what they needed to do. And that run defense has been a focus for for Brian Williams. They've really shored that up the last couple of years because as we as we remember, especially Maryland's early time in the Big Ten, teams were able to run all over the Terps. I mean, no matter who it was, yeah. it seemed like they were guaranteed 100, 150, almost 200 yards rushing per game. And we saw plenty of games like this with lesser running backs and lesser offensive lines where they were able to to run the ball right down Maryland's throat. And that makes it a lot easier for a quarterback like Kyle McCord. But he had to prove that he could make plays with his arm. And he really wasn't able to do that until they started force feeding uh, Mar- uh, Marvin Harrison. Harrison. Yeah. Why, why was I forgetting his name? He was yeah. all over the place. Yeah. But no, I you think, want to forget. <laughs> I th- yeah, I do. Yeah. I think one of the biggest things, though, three of 12 Ohio State on third downs. And we talked last week about how good Maryland's defense has been on third downs this year. Yeah. That continued even against an offense like that. And again, they were able to get Ohio State into third and eight, third and tens, because they were able to stop the run on early downs. Yeah, well, and, and that's the thing is that Ryan Day, and we talked about Ryan Day wanting to establish the run to help McCord out and not always put it on him on first down or maybe even second down, but set up third and manageable situations for him. And Maryland, to their credit, you know, stopped the run as you talked about. They didn't give up the big pass play, and they covered well at times on third down, and they got some pressure as well yeah. on third down plays. So you're right. I mean, early on in that game, especially in the first half, I should say, the the defense did a very good job of of locking down, not giving up big plays, uh, stopping the run, getting some pressure, really a combination of everything. They tackled pretty well in space, and uh, they forced passes to the flats at times to the backs. What they gave up over the minimal uh, over the middle was was fairly minimal. So yeah, I mean, scripted out defensively, you couldn't really ask for much more. Uh, from what they did in the first half of that game. Now, yeah, when Ohio State needed to and they and they needed to really put the pedal to the metal offensively, they were able to make plays. But I, you still credit Maryland for the fact that Ryan Day had to go deeper into his playbook in order to dial up some of those plays. And look, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best wide receiver in college football. Yeah. No one's going to argue that. Um, you know, if there's someone just as good, or maybe there's someone just as good, but there's no one better than him out there. So the fact that he ended up making some plays later, you know, you you, you kind of want to do your best to shut him down, but you're not going to shut him down. But the fact that okay, you lost to the best wide receiver in college football, there should be some solace to it. Um, yeah, you kind of hope that it would be somebody else other than him that would would beat you. But yeah, though they did a good job of scheming him up and. You know, he's going to make plays. He's a good wide receiver. And I, I guess if you take away, you know, Zach, if you take away the long, the 58-yarder from the 163, you know, it, it, it ends up being like seven for 110. And, uh, you know, that's... You can live with that from the best receiver in the country, especially when you hold Cade Stover to two catches, yeah. Egbuka to three, Fleming yeah. to two. Yeah. I mean, they really shut down a lot of these other guys. And I think having not only Tarheeb still healthy, which was a question mark coming into this game, but getting Sean Barham back across the middle, that really helped uh, uh, against a guy like Stover. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's a good point, actually, is that, and, and I don't know if this was their game plan or not, but okay, if uh, if the game plan was, hey, let's shut everybody else down, and if he beats us, he beats us. Well, then that worked for Ohio State. But to your point, they have a number of other threats, and you're right, they were all held all held in check. 
And if you take a look, like Stover had one big play, and then yeah. his other catchers, then he had one other catch. You know, Fleming as well. When you kind of break down the stats, their second, third, fourth receivers, those stats are even worse when you take away that one long play. And I always do that. I always take away the one long play and then take a look at the at how it averages out. You know, I, I take out the anomaly there. Well, especially in this game, when you look at how much the defense was on the field once the fourth quarter came along, the offense wasn't sustaining drives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're tired and they're giving up bigger plays. But through three quarters, I'd love to see the stats through three quarters because it didn't seem like there were really any big plays uh, in the passing game, really at all, because their longest run was 11 yards, Ohio State, for Mayan Williams. So really very little explosive plays through the first three quarters. I think that's it's absolutely something to build on, which I know is something that Pat mentioned when he when he texted us before this was, you know, this game really is something to build on. And they're going to be looking to do that this week against Illinois. So we'll take a look at the the fighting line eye. Um, I think, Mike, just before we get into the weeds with their team, I think this is a really good, good opportunity um, the way that the schedule panned out. You had the bye week after this. You're coming off of, of an emotional road loss to a top five team. You have a chance to regroup for homecoming against the team that's down, a game that you should win, and you should win relatively handily um, to go into the bye week. And, and they have a chance to have six wins before you uh, before you hit the bye in mid-October. Look, there's a lot to play for here as you talk about sixth win, bowl eligibility. Let's also not forget uh, a win makes uh, gives them at least a 500 record, which gives them a third straight winning season for the first time since 01 through 03. So there's a lot to be said about that. And then, right, you, you don't want to go into the bye week having to sit on a loss. Uh, and, and it's a winnable game, and it's a home game for you as well. So all those things, all those boxes are checked off. I, it, look, I think we're going to find out a lot about this team in terms of how they come out and play because obviously that was a disappointing loss to Ohio State and some opportunity there that they left on the field in that second half. Uh, but you would hope that they're not overlooking Illinois where, okay, yeah, we lost to Ohio State, but we played them tough. It was tied at halftime. Illinois, no sweat at home. We got the bye. We're looking ahead. That mentality, we're going to find out whether they're dialed in or if some of that ends up being a factor in this game. The uh, the thing that you know is surprising, uh, well, we'll get into Illinois, but I'll just say that, uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to find out about where the mental focus is of this team pretty quickly um, because this has been a team against Michigan State, against Indiana that got out to quick leads and against Ohio State got out to a yeah. lead. Can they do a four fourth straight game? Yeah. So things to look for for sure. Uh Illinois two and four on the year. Um they, they received votes in the in the preseason AP poll and they've completely fallen flat this season. Brett Bielema, they won eight games last year, played Maryland tight. Um or was that two years ago that they played Maryland? I, I think that was two years ago. It was two years ago. All right. That was either a way. They, either was way, a same same head coach. Yeah, it was, it was a, a Friday, Friday night. Friday yeah. night. Yeah, that was Bielema's first year. Okay, I believe. Yeah, he had Maryland his first year, and then he had a big year last year, and now he's not off to such a good start this year. Yeah, eight eight wins last year, and only two this year. And they almost knocked off Michigan at home last year. Yeah, I mean Michigan got had to yeah. really dig in and get that. That's the game that Blake Horm got hurt. Yeah. Well, and I think when you dig into Illinois and look, I haven't followed them as much as 
people in Illinois have this year. But um, when you really dig in and look at what they've, what's gone right and what's gone wrong, it doesn't look on paper like a Brett Bielema team. They're not stopping the run. They're not running the ball. Um, they're not playing disciplined football. They, they commit a lot of penalties. Teams are typically able to run pretty easily on them, and they're, they're forced to throw the ball 40 times a game. It doesn't look at all like a Bielema team. So for Maryland, obviously a big opportunity to take advantage of a team that's down, coming off two straight losses to Purdue and Nebraska. And at this point, when you lose to Nebraska, you're in pretty bad shape. Um, as I mentioned, better throwing the ball than running, which is weird. Uh, they're bad on third downs, just 33% converted all year. Um, quarterback is Luke Altmeyer, who has some talent, Ole Miss transfer. Um, he's completing 63% of his passes, which is not good enough if you're going to be throwing the ball 40 times a game. Four interceptions against Penn State, two interceptions against Kansas. That means he has more interceptions than touchdowns thrown this year. So obviously an opportunity for Maryland. Their pass defense might be tested a little bit, but again, they've got to be coming into this game with a lot of confidence. And this feels like a game where you just need to shut them down early um, because after two straight losses, they're going to be expecting another one, especially on the road. Yeah, and you don't want this to be the game where they start to get some traction because this is one of those that I looked at the schedule and we talked about after the first five weeks. The schedule... Well, actually, excuse me. After the first three or four weeks, you got to Michigan State was week four. So you're looking at Michigan State, then you're looking at Ohio State, then Illinois. So those three, you're taking a look at trench play. And you weren't quite sure what you were going to get from Michigan State. But as we saw in that game, though, Maryland uh, had a tough time stopping the run in that one. They just got benefit. They were you know, the, the benefactor of a number of turnovers in that one. Ohio State defensively to their credit they were they stopped the run against Ohio State but this was a game that I circled and said yeah I'm concerned because Brett Bielema's teams are strong in the trenches and Illinois much like Nebraska with Matt Rule now as head coach much like Jim Harbaugh when he shifted offensive philosophy from uh you know a spread and a pass happy spread to a a spread but with a power run game and a West Coast offense in the passing game that Illinois was a concern to me because we could get pretty beat up in the trenches here, and it could be a long day for us against Illinois. So I am shocked to see the numbers that you talked about it last week, 19 carries for 21 yards, and seeing now I've got to take a look at their the last couple of weeks, their starters, but taking a look at the notes that I had prior to uh, the season starting, they have three offensive linemen coming back. So they had a really good run game last year. Now, I know they lost their starting running back last year, but they had three offensive linemen return um, and their tight end, all starters. So you would think, hey, you're in pretty good shape there. Now, for them defensively as well, they returned two defensive linemen and three linebackers coming into this season, Zach. So it's very surprising. Now, they lost a lot of talent in the secondary to the NFL. So being passed upon, not a surprise there. But... In the trenches, big surprise. Absolutely. I don't know exactly what's going wrong, but I would just say if I'm Maryland, look, defensively build upon what you did last week all game and offensively build upon what you did in the first half. Don't take these guys lightly, though, because the potential is there for them to be good in the trenches. They haven't been yet, but don't let this be the game where they start to find some traction. 
Yeah, you can't assume any victories in the Big Ten, no matter who you are, even if it's Rutgers. Like, come on. I, you really Rutgers can't. Rutgers is off to a pretty good start. They are. Now so, they, they didn't win last week, but, you know, but yeah. Ton of parity in this league as across college football nowadays. So, you know, they've got experienced players. They've got a great coach. Um, they could easily run into a win, especially if you open the door and keep it open long enough for them. They have plenty of talented players. They just haven't put it together yet this season. Uh, if you're looking at uh, players to key on, Isaiah Williams is their best receiver, former quarterback, had more than 100 yards receiving against uh, FAU and Purdue. Um, favorite red zone target, Pat Bryant, who's 6'3", has four touchdown receptions, leading the he, team. He's in, a speedy guy. Yeah. yeah, speedy and big, 6'3". So, you know, that's something that I know Loxley talked about today in his media avail, which was they have a lot of guys, a lot of receivers who can win 50-50 balls. And that's something that's always going to worry a defensive coordinator, especially Maryland. Their DBs aren't, aren't huge. They don't have a ton of really tall, lanky yeah. DBs. Um, so that's something Outside that you're going to look for. Shepherd's right. Shepard's had, had some lapses in coverage a this season. Yeah. Um, now, I, th I think they are set up pretty well because Williams, their best receiver, is a slot guy. And that's Tar Heap still is going to be on him all game. Still one of the better slot corners in the Big Ten. So that's definitely the thing to watch for. If they're able to win a lot of those 50-50 balls, maybe get some pass interference calls, string together drives in that way, that's going to give them confidence and allow them to stay in the game. Defensively, like you mentioned, Mike, it's it, it's it's strange that they're not stopping the run because that's that's what Brett Bielema's teams are built on: run the ball and stop the run. Uh, and to this point, they haven't done that. They've allowed more than 150 rushing yards in every game except one, which was FAU. They've allowed multiple rushing touchdowns in all but two games. Uh, and we're not talking about big teams uh, to this point other than Penn State that they've played in the Big Ten. I mean, you're talking Purdue and Nebraska, two more bottom feeders uh, in the Big Ten Conference that they've played and lost to and struggled against. Uh, they also struggle to rush the passer. Uh, just 1.3 sacks per game towards the bottom of the league. Um, Ohio State similar. Uh, not a whole lot of blitzing, not a whole lot of rushing. They prefer to play in coverage. So this seems like an opportunity for Maryland to build upon that first half offensively, run the ball, see if some of these gap schemes can work as they have the last two weeks. And if they can run the ball, take some pressure off Talia, that would allow him to get into the game a little bit more after a rough one last week, give him confidence going into the bye. Yeah. Um, now, I, I take a look at, at last week against Nebraska, realizing Harburg was Nebraska's leading rusher. That's not going to be the case with Talia. Now, the Terps have a better running back room than Nebraska does. So that's, uh, you know, that makes up for it. But they did, the Illinois did hold them to a 3.2 yards per carry average uh, at the end of the day with all that. So, yeah, Nebraska ran for 158 yards, but 82 came from the quarterback. That's not going to be the case with Maryland this week. But insert one of the running backs there, and, and maybe that makes up for it. So, um, you know, because that's that's important, too, when you take a look at that, because Maryland ended up with three yards per per carry last week uh, because of the second half. But, yeah, I mean, again, we, we, we go back to, um, you know, run the ball just enough, run the ball enough to be able to um, have enough of a threat, take a little pressure for, off of Talia there and just be able to be multiple. And, you know, you talked about the three receivers that they have at Williams and Bryant and Casey Washington's that third guy that they have who's a physical guy. I, I've got to think that Bielema 
is still going to try to run the ball some, but I'm not so sure that given the receivers and given the transfer quarterback at Altmaier that he's not shifted philosophy um, this year some just out of necessity that, man, we got to throw the football more. So I, I don't see Illinois abandoning the run, but you could see a little different approach this year than you've seen out of Illinois the last couple of years. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll all obviously have to see, but um, you know, you got to go with what is working for you. And looks like the pass gives them a better opportunity at winning than the run. Uh, shockingly enough. Well, I know that a lot of the Illinois fans have been frustrated. Um, I was reading a little bit after their uh, their game against Nebraska. They're frustrated with the play calling. They're frustrated that they can't get the run going. Uh, it sounded like they pretty much abandoned the run in the second half against Nebraska. Um, they don't feel like they should be throwing the ball as much as they are, which 63% completion percentage is fine if you're attempting 25 passes a game. But when you're attempting 40, that's not great, uh, especially if you're relying on that to string together drives. Well, and it depends on the kind of passes too, though. If you're throwing more intermediate sure. to to deeper passes, then those are lower percentage passes. If you're hitting 63% of them, I think you'll take that. But if you're throwing more shorter to intermediate, you're right. You need that percentage up a bit. Uh, now, you know, you do like that Purdue game. They ran the football on that one. They didn't stop the run in that one. That was the problem in that game. For yeah, it was a Tyrone Tracy went for 112. Maccabee went for 67, almost 200 team rushing yards. And that includes, obviously, negative 20 in sacks because the college football, for some reason, still lumps in yeah. negative yardage for sacks into team totals. But, yeah, I mean, all things point to a game that Maryland shouldn't have a ton of issues winning. They're favored by 14, which feels about right. Homecoming, um, I think staying healthy heading into the bye is another thing that's important for this week. Obviously, you can't totally control that, but something that you'd like to see, uh, especially with Northwestern coming out of the bye, gives you a nice ease back into Big Ten play on paper. Obviously, like we said, can't take it, can't take anyone for granted. Um, so 14 points. Does Maryland cover in this game? What's your gut feeling there? Yeah, I mean, last week I had Maryland uh... – I'd had Ohio State covering that, and they just they just did barely. You know, I they they ought to they ought to, yeah. but I'm not going to. What is it? Fourteen? You said? Yeah. All right. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll go with that. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go with them to cover that. I don't know that it would be much higher than that, um, but yeah, they, they ought to they ought to take care of business with that, and you know how it how it plays out. We'll we'll have to see, but. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll spot 14 for the fighting line. Yeah, I'll, I'll say 14 as well. Shouldn't It shouldn't be difficult with the firepower of Maryland's offense, the issues that Illinois had this year on both sides of the ball. Again, shouldn't be an issue. Now, now Mike, just looking ahead um, a little bit, you've got that Penn State game looming uh, first week in November. That's really the one that people are going to be circling next on the calendar the team shouldn't be but we can as fans and analysts um home game their their biggest opportunity at home uh until they face michigan two weeks later so they have a real opportunity you got the buy in between um here and the northwestern game northwestern on the road they have a real opportunity man on paper to go seven and one heading into that game um but it starts this week and they got to take care of business Yes, and this is this is a game they need to have. The Northwestern's a game they need to have. And coming off a bye for that Northwestern game, even though that game's on the road, uh, certainly should leave zero excuses to win that game at that point. 
um, because they'll have been well-rested and prepared for that one. And I've got to think, though, the coaches will be also doing some preparation for Penn State with the week after. Uh, but you're right. I mean, these are back-to-back games that you got to have. The schedule plays out very well. Um, disappointed with Ohio State, but things to build off. And you don't have a performance against Ohio State the way you do, Zach, and then turn around and lose to Illinois and Northwestern. That shouldn't happen. And if we're talking about a standard, if we're talking about Maryland really now building themselves as a legitimate mid-tier contender in the Big Ten and being able to take shots and be competitive and being into the fourth quarter with Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, then these are the games that you need to be able to uh, you need to be able to win. So absolutely, there's a lot still in front of them, and. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at seven and one going into Penn State, that's that's better, I guess, than I gave that I thought at the beginning of the year because I I just wasn't sure with Michigan State and Illinois. But obviously, now that we played into the year, um, they beat Michigan State and Illinois. That's a a winnable game for them. And hey, look, you know, if they if they strung together the first half of Ohio State, if they could put that half together in two halves against the Penn State and Michigan, that'll be a very intriguing game down the uh, you know down the line. Yeah, and you look at uh, you got Nebraska and Rutgers also in the schedule. Obviously, both on the road, so not going to be super easy, um, but a real potential for at least nine wins. And that, you know, and that's the to me, and that's the ceiling for this program. I, I yeah. it, it, to go nine and three, that's that's about as good as you're going to get in the Big Ten with this program, with the challenges that they have with NIL and with academic standards that they have. I mean, Zach, that would be. Unbelievable. And and really taking a look at last year's team compared to this year's team, I wouldn't have thought, and we're not there yet, but if that comes to fruition, even if it's eight regular season wins, I wouldn't have thought that possible. I was very conservative calling this a seven and five team this year. But And how great is it that in previous years we were just counting down to six wins? And now there's an opportunity to get the sixth win this weekend. And other than you mentioning it at the at the top of this podcast, I don't think I've heard anybody else talk about that, which is a good thing, because now that's an expectation and you build up from there. And that's where we talk about Mike Loxley wanting to reset the floor of the program. The floor is six wins. You get anything less than that, it's a complete failure. We're expecting six every single year. Really, we ought to get more, and that's what they're they're going to try to do starting this weekend against Illinois. So yeah. now obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll nitpick and say we need to bump that non conference schedule up a little bit. But they did have they did have Virginia. That is a Power Five team, regardless. That is a Power Five team. So and they'll pl- they'll play them next year. But yeah, no, I mean, look, I I'm with you on that, and you're right. The floor has been bumped up, and I you know I said and I've said for a long time I'll take on a regular basis seven and five. But they're showing that at times, and clearly having a quarterback that's established like Talia, being able to get maybe an eighth or ninth win every now and again, and in this case would be a back-to-back seasons, is not, is not impossible for this program. Yeah, and they've started to separate, and I know Pat mentioned it last week, they've started to separate from the worst teams in the conference. And there's tiers, and they're sort of in the middle between those those blue bloods and the Nebraskas and the Purdue's and the Rutgers and Northwestern. And everything gets, everything obviously changes next year and things get um, really, you know, shook up, but let's realize that the top of the top, they're going to sustain some losses that they hadn't sustained before because you're adding four really good programs into the mix as well. Um, 
But, you know, hopefully that uh, you know, high tide raises all ships, and let's hope that that's the case and that uh, that filters through. Uh, that will, to an extent, how much we'll have to see. But I, I tell you the thing I was really impressed about, um, Zach, with Maryland going into the Ohio State game is that they knew they knew it was a really good opponent. They knew that it was a really good opportunity for them to, to show themselves. And I thought they got a lot of credit um, on TV, especially in that first half, uh, Joel Klatt, uh, Fox was very complimentary of them. And even in the second half and thinking, hey, they should be a ranked team. If they were in the SEC, they'd be a ranked team. Um, I was surprised that they lost a lot of votes, actually, um, in teams considered uh, or other teams considered in the AP Top 25 at coaches. I was shocked they went from 81 votes to nine, seeing how they played in that first half and seeing they had some opportunities. And then Ohio State, and I know Texas lost, but – Ohio State got bumped up to three. They didn't, they didn't deserve to get bumped up from that performance. I don't care. Yeah. It was a 20-point win. If you watch the game, that was not impressive by them. And, again, you, you give Maryland some credit for that. But they 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 didn't come to play in that game. They weren't impressive. You know? Well, they're not the best it's team. not impressive to me right now. But Penn State and Michigan are clearly better than Ohio State. And yes. Ohio yeah. State's right in the middle of them in the rankings. So that I don't understand. I, it probably goes back to preseason rankings, which are stupid and should never be done in the first place. Mm. But yeah, with Kyle McCord, the, I'm sorry. I, he's just not that good. And you need a good quarterback to be a top five team. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he, he showed some flash here and there, but again, they, the one play they had to dial up was a, was creative uh, scheme play that they got a, a receiver open yeah. Um, that any quarterback uh, worth his salt and starting in college football could make. So, no, I'm with you. He's still got a lot to prove. Yeah, he had that nice drive against Notre Dame in crunch time, but, yeah, he was not that impressive in the game. I don't care what the numbers say at the end of the day. He was not that impressive. But, so, I was I was surprised about the votes. I thought Maryland would uh, hold on to most of those 81, maybe lose a few, but down to nine made no sense. Ohio State getting bumped up. Maybe that's just as they felt like they had to. Uh, but I'm not so sure that you wouldn't even put Florida State up to three at that point and keep Ohio State at four. But just going back to the point, though, Zach, is that they uh, – and, and now it's it's funny how some things take some time to sink in and to make sense, even though it kind of made sense from the beginning. But when Mike Loxley talked about, you know, trusting the process and, um, you know, it, it, it's what you do each and every day. It's not, oh, we're getting up for this game and – just it, it's an everyday process. It's what you have in place. It's the culture. It now all makes sense. So that going into that Ohio State game, they knew how good they were. They knew the opportunities, but they weren't treating this game any differently than any other. You've got to have a certain way that you practice and prepare each and every day, and that ought to be constant throughout. And it, it, it now makes a lot more sense for whatever reason to me than it did than it did before. Because it's working. Yeah, well, right, and but it's happened. And they're, it, talk, they're Alabama. Yeah, talk is cheap, yeah. and they're showing it now. Um, and like you said, the Saban influence is huge on this program. Right. Well, I, and I tell you what, it probably is is that thinking Alabama is that we could talk about we could talk about a certain standard of practicing there, but at the end of the day, they get year in and year out the best players in yeah. the country, are, along with Georgia, and you know, throwing one other one other team that battles for third. Um, every year or every other year, but you think that, yeah, Saban's a good coach, but he's got the greatest players there. Yeah. So forget practice habits and, and all that stuff, but with it working with a Maryland where they don't get all the, you know, they don't get four and five star recruits much. Um, it makes, yeah, it makes more sense. Yeah. So homecoming this weekend, hopefully 
a lot of people are able to make it out to College Park. Unfortunately, yeah. I will not be there being all the way out here in California, but I hope everybody yeah. who who is there enjoys themselves. Hopefully the weather works out. Mike, you'll be yeah, there. Nice. I will be there. Now, the weather along the coast may be, may be uh, iffy. They're expecting rain and wind, but in College Park, I think that could be a different story. I'm not – I could look it up real quick on my phone. I don't think my, that... my Baltimore weather app says 70% chance of rain. Okay, so, so that's – Hopefully that clears up. close. It's close. Closer. Close, yeah, much closer. <laughs> 68 uh, degrees, 330 start, so who knows? Maybe the rain – Hopefully it doesn't rain in the morning for the well, tailgaters. That, that obviously would favor that would favor Illinois. So let's hope that's that's not the case. Yeah. Uh, because to lay in a wet ball, we've seen how that worked out yeah. in uh, the Wisconsin game. And Penn. yeah, he was dealing with some injuries there, but hopefully, Ooh, yeah, yeah, hopefully things not looking good. Rain and sixty-eight Saturday, five to ten miles at a chance. So I may need to amend my prediction. About covering the 14. <laughs> well, you know what they say about weather in Maryland is wait five minutes and it'll change. And the yeah, forecast it, is the same. Wait five minutes and the forecast yeah. may completely change. So, it, it, and it 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 uh, it certainly may. I, I I thought it. Well, yeah, I'll be yeah. So I'll be at the game on on Saturday. But uh, oh, I know you you had mentioned homecoming and, and attendance. Let me just say the attendance for the Indiana game very very impressed. I, and I thought Virginia, they had a good turnout. Some of that was Virginia, though, because of the proximity, close proximity. But I thought they had an outstanding turnout for that Indiana game on, on family weekend. Let's keep it up. I think the 330 starts help. So thank you to the Big Ten for continuing to schedule 330 games. Yes, you can make – yeah, yeah. No, you're More right time to tailgate, that. too, which I know everybody appreciates. That um, is true. So, yeah, uh, be sure to check out the message board, Bartle, message board, baltimoresportsandlife.com. I'll have my game preview up on Thursday. Mike, I know you're working on some things. Yeah, I, I, I've got my notes from the last two weeks. Um, I didn't get a chance last week to put something up, but I do want to, to recap just what we've seen over the last couple of weeks and maybe make a few comments about some of the other uh, Big Ten teams. So I'll be working on that Wednesday, and uh, that should be up hopefully on Thursday on the site. Yeah. Perfect. So be sure to check all that out and follow us on Twitter at Talking Chirps BSL. We will be back next week where I think we're going to try to do a basketball preview. So stay tuned for that. But for now, for uh -huh. my co-host, Mike Popovic, I'm Zach Kiesel, Real Terps.